0: Hello there, Welcome to the Climate Resilience Podcast series in Namoy. And today we're on the farm. Climate Resilience is a podcast of local government New South Wales. I'm Gretchen Miller and we're looking at communities, their councils, and the joint organisation Namoy Unlimited as they work together on the front line of a changing climate. In this episode, we're stepping out of town along the dusty gravel roads to check out how some members of the farming community are working to keep water longer on the land. Oh,
1: sure. Details on a sheet here. What's the day's 26?
0: We're with Craig Carter, a holistic farmer and educator. Craig and his wife, Nikki Shirleyan own Talawang, 445 hectares of mixed grazing for profit and natural sequence farming. The process is designed to lift carrying capacity and profit, boost diversity and improve landscape hydrology. This internationally recognised approach is being applied to properties around Australia, from the usually well-watered landscapes around Talawang to the western districts, the snowy mountains and even the vast cattle stations of the north. Project Craig is involved in Land to Market Australia, won the 2019 New South Wales Land Care Awards for Innovation in Agriculture. Meanwhile, he and surrounding properties have just been granted $300,000 by the New South Wales Government, with matching in-kind contributions from landholders to implement the Upper Mukai Rehydration Project. So what does this type of farming mean in practice? what can it do for river catchments and how does it contribute to local governments in the Namoy? Craig and I sit on his veranda and then take a walk down to the river he's been working on for the past decade.
1: I've been involved in this, what we call now regenerative agriculture, for the best part of 20 years here at Tullowin. And our approach is very much holistic in nature, both big H and little h, as in the more formal structure of holistic management, but just taking a look at the whole structure as one piece and its complexity and managing and working with that complexity. And part of that is managing the water cycle, which really fits with the topic of drought-proofing.
0: Can you describe the landscape we see in front of us for our listeners?
1: Okay, we're nestled in the foothills of the Liverpool Ranges. The Liverpool Plains is probably the most productive food bowl in New South Wales and where we are is at 400 metres above sea level. It's black basalt country which from a farming point of view or an agricultural point of view is some of the wealthiest soil, the healthiest and wealthiest soils in Australia. Our average rainfall here is just under 700 millimetres in a normal year but averages are a bit like unicorns, hard to find and we've come out of a pretty nasty drought Very well, very comfortably and pretty much on track from where I thought we were going to be. And so it's an environment that has a huge diversity of grasses, herbs, forbs and plants that some people call weeds.
0: Before you had the rains, you were in drought. What did the country look like then?
1: Parts of the country were totally bare. We were about 70% covered. I try to maintain better than 100%, but... How
0: can you do better than 100?
1: (laughs) It then becomes deep. It's about depth. Anything above 70% minimises your risk of soil loss due to wind or water erosion. And that's about where we were for most of the drought.
0: So tell me about the biodiversity of this place.
1: We're part of a, a program called Land to Market, which has a process called Ecological Outcome verification. EOV is designed to verify that your management is taking you in the right or wrong direction, hopefully not the wrong one. And it's In terms of
0: what? In in terms
1: of biodiversity, soil health, ground cover, overall landscape health. And you know, we, we look at everything from trees to plants and herbs and forbs and grasses and you know, small animals and we do some soil testing to see that we've got a rising plane of soil microbiology and things like that.
0: When he was younger, Craig was a drover for a year, walking cattle along some of the travelling stock routes throughout the country. And he talks about the long paddock.
1: Properly managed, it is a wonderful resource for all sorts of things, not only as an emergency paddock. I've used the long paddock in good seasons as well. And that actually fits with the holistic sort of thinking that I use because if you're encouraging... From a government point of view, if you're encouraging drivers to bring mobs of cattle through just for a short graze and then give it two or three months to recover and then come back for another short graze, you're actually going to enhance the the resilience of that landscape. The beauty with the travelling stock reserves is because they haven't been farmed conventionally, they have an amazing amount of biodiversity.
0: So in other words, Australia's been kind of testing out holistic farming for quite a long time.
1: Holistic management's more than just grazing and it's often seen as nothing but grazing. But it's really a decision-making process and that decision-making process revolves around what you, as the business owner, the mayor of the local council, have as your your vision where you want this community this landscape this this business to be in 2 or 3 or 4 or 5 or 6 generations time and then having established that vision you then look at the actions that you can take to head you in that direction and by doing that and you look at it and say well you know is it taking us where we want to go where are we going to get the money Is it socially acceptable? There's about eight or nine questions that you kind of think about and just go, yeah, 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 no, no, no. Are we going to make a quid out of it? The grazing side of it, it's almost an adjunct to it.
0: You bought this land in 2001. There was a dry summer. It was fairly simple in terms of its biodiversity and you wanted to try holistic farming. What had attracted you to it?
1: I'm firmly of the belief that everybody in agriculture is accountable for three things. They're accountable to their community, they're accountable to their environment and they're accountable to themselves. And if you're hitting all three of those, then you're regenerating your landscape, you're providing quality food for your community and you're hopefully, not hopefully, you should be making a profit.
0: The limiting factor... Craig tells me is water. It's all about holding the water in the landscape, slowing the flow of water through the country so that it seeps into the surrounding soils. There are two ways to do this, by enriching the soil itself so it holds the water for longer, and by maximizing the amount of time water spends on your property. You can increase the number of water storage points, that is, the dams, and you can slow the flow of water along creeks and rivers.
1: And whilst we're slowing that flow down, we're being able to use it and then let it go. Well, we're not letting it go, it's just going. It just trickles down. And, you know, there's anecdotally, in the 40s and 50s, if there was big rain in the mountains, it could take a day, two days, a week to get down on the flat. So if you were shearing down on the, out on the plains, someone would ring you up and say, ''It's raining up here.'' And you, you had a week or 10 days to get your sheep off. Now you've got 40 minutes. And it just, zoom, it's like a luge. It just straight down. And we're trying to stop that sort of thing. And that's why I use the terms of restoring the function rather than restoring the landscape because you can't restore the landscape. It's moving. It's evolving. But what you've got to do is look to the function of that landscape and see whether, okay, I can do that. I can't get this back. It's going to be 200 years before we get back to that. So I'm not going to be able to do it. But the function, I can restore. And if I start to get that happening and I put it on that positive feedback loop and hopefully the next person that buys this place has the same attitude, it'll happen.
0: I'll ask you then, okay, the focus of regenerative agriculture is to keep water in the soil, as I understand it, and you use photosynthesis to draw carbon down into the soil. The more carbon in the soil, then the more capacity for water cycling. Would that be about it?
1: Yes, it's, it's, there's a lot more to it. Um, slowing the water down, holding it in the landscape, it's not only the carbon, it's the biology, it's the bacteria, the fungi, the archaea, All of those little fellas, the protozoa, all those guys, if we've got water there, they don't go dormant. Now, protozoa will just curl up and go into a cyst until there's enough moisture. And this is why I keep reinforcing this holistic complexity because every plant has its own personal recipe and that's a mixture of soil temperature, air temperature, moisture, photoperiod, i.e. the amount of daylight, and soil health. And you'll never drought-proof. What you can do is you can shorten the time frame between that first bit of rain on the way out of a drought and your restocking time. If you're not in a drought, you're either recovering from it or planning for it, and if you're not planning for it, you're going to fail. And that's pretty much what it's about.
0: What do you do to keep water hanging around for longer,
1: You build organic matter because those cattle are trampling stuff in. They're encouraging the plants to to grow.
0: How? If they're crushing those fragile plants beneath their hooves?
1: One of the things we do here is very rarely do we graze for more than a day at a time in a paddock. So when a plant's in a paddock that's being grazed, it kind of sticks its head up and says, whoops, they're here, I'm going to get chewed off. They go away, what's the plant do? The plant starts immediately starts photosynthesising. It starts to grow again. As its leaf material's growing, its root material's growing, its relationship with the soil...
0: And because the cattle are moving on every day, the plants have a chance to recover. And then what does that do for the soil and what does that do for water retention?
1: Because the plants, as the cattle have moved on, the plants are now pumping those sugars into the ground, they're starting to create organic matter The bacteria are also consuming any litter that's on top of the ground. So they're building organic matter. And the more organic matter you can build, the more water you'll retain. A 1% increase in organic matter, depending on the type of soil, will vary from 140,000 litres to 170,000 litres per hectare for every 1% increase in organic matter. It stays there until you suck it out or you bear the earth and it gets evaporated.
0: How can governments, local and state governments, support the efforts that you're making? Knowing that, well, particularly with local government, the the budgets are not huge and the landscape is big. What could council bring to you guys?
1: The councils need to have their own develop a vision for what they want their local government area to look like they then need to as this goes back to the whole thing we started out with develop a vision develop a set of steps to get there make sure that those steps tick all the right boxes so that we're not doing things that are taking us away from where we want to go
0: all right well should we go for a walk why don't we go yeah
1: So, we go up to the foot of those trees. Right. The, we head tree.
0: down to the eye in Craig's car, passing his cattle.
1: Just, we'll go out and have a quick look at the paddock and we'll
0: come back here. And on the way, Craig shows me how one paddock differs from the next and how the time spent in any paddock is so short it's never grazed to the bare dirt. When we arrive, the creek is crowded with plants and debris. What is this?
1: That's a vetch. Yeah. It's a legume, and that was what they call common vetch because it's only got a single flower.
0: It's a pea of some kind. Yeah, yeah, it's
1: yeah, it's when just random like this, it's fine. But if I get a mass of it, what it's telling me is that I'm short of fungal activity in the soil, so I need to focus more on building my fungi rather than my bacteria. It's about managing your grazing so that you can. Build your fungal content of your soil. Your ideal relationship is about 1.6 by weight fungi to one bacteria. OK. So a grassland is a pretty simple environment, so it's predominantly bacterial. A woodland is predominantly fungal. We're starting to see a few more wetland plants, some sedges, and then in the next couple of holes we'll start to see some reeds and rushes and they are Australia's equivalent to beavers. And they will start to sow the landscape together and then...
0: So you've just popped in a whole bunch of...
1: Busted off star pickets and a few branches behind it. Now the objective there is to trap litter and you can see where there's been litter trapped. Yep. In, and that just looks like a baleen filter on a whale. So that filter there, because that slows the water down, if you look behind it, there's a, an immense amount of silt that's dropped there. Now, this is the longest that water's ever stayed in this pond in my time. So what I'm wanting to do is for the next flow to bring the next pile of silt down. And if that fills up, I'm not going to be overly stressed.
0: By slowing the water flow down to a number of pools linked by faster-flowing riffles, the water gets a chance to spread out into the
1: landscape and filling up my aquifer. And yeah, this is one of the really critical things is we've got to keep these aquifers full. And if we keep these aquifers full, we're not stopping water going downstream. We're just slowing it up. I remember chatting with one of my fellow HM educators and I said to him, if we could increase the soil organic matter above Chaffee Dam as I was explaining to you, you see, one of the councils in the Guider have just rung me up to ask me how they can manage their landscape. And this is where the councils need to get involved. Because if they can encourage their landholders to manage their landscape, to improve their soil carbon levels, and they can measure it and manage it. And if you think of it in terms of big-picture climate change management, we're lowering the temperature of the planet. It's much cooler. How cool is it in here?
0: I put my hand under the canopy of a small plant, and the soil is cool and damp on a warm sunny day. And what do you feel when you look oh, at it? It's blissful. It's wonderful.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's a feeling of of comfort and happiness. Yeah, you know, when things get really, really dry and horrible here, like they did in the drought, you'd come down to somewhere like here and sit down and just. Bring a cup of coffee or not even bother, just sit and chill out. And it's just that much more comfortable. It's it's got a a lovely vibe.
0: Craig Carter there, Regenerative Farmer. And this has been another episode of the Climate Resilience podcast. In Namoy, part of the local government New South Wales Increasing Resilience to Climate Change project funded by the New South Wales government. And don't forget to check out our other episodes, On the Road, all about how to conserve water in critical infrastructure, rural council maintenance, and regional city water, where we look at how Tamworth approached its most serious drought in a hundred years and what it's doing towards its future. I'm Gretchen Miller. See you next time.